Tomorrow, I am driving mm, about 400 miles to go to a wedding. And this is what, what makes that, this mm, for me, is that the wedding is for one of the girls from my very first Pathfinder unit. So that means that, wow, we're both getting older here. She requested for her wedding that all of the guests bring cookies and attach to them the recipe or where to get them, and for it to be our favorite cookies. Well, I got to thinking, the best cookies I have ever tasted are the Pillsbury ones that come in rolls of dough with the little design in the middle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, at Christmas, it's a Christmas tree. Um, not that I partake in Halloween, but it's a black cat or a pumpkin around that time of year. It's hearts at Valentine's it, or a snowman around Christmas. And these things are delicious. So I thought, I'm going to go to Vaughn's and I'm going to get some of this because my Pathfinder girl, she deserves the best. <laughs> I get there and it says, and I can't find any with the design in the middle, but I figure... Well, they were sugar cookies, right? So I grab a roll of sugar cookie dough. And, it's, and I note that it says, refrigerate. And then I proceeded to put it in my backpack and go to Sam's Club to do my Friday shopping. All the while with this roll of cookie dough in my backpack. I get home. And like I remember my father doing, I cut off the end of the roll of cookie dough with a knife. And does it cut cleanly? No. I get this surge of cookie dough just squirting out onto me. And I think, okay, when it said refrigerate, they meant serious business. So I clean it up and do an experiment with the stuff I cleaned up in the microwave that really didn't turn out. But that's besides the point. Our house still smells a little burnt. Um, and I stick the thing back in the fridge. I'm like, after it firms up, I will be able to give to my, to my friend, my Pathfinder girl, the best cookies I've ever tasted. So when it finally chills up, I, I, and I call my father to make sure that I'm doing it right, I slice the roll of dough, I put it on the cookie sheet. I'm disappointed to find that after my little accident with it, it only makes one dozen, and I put it into the oven, and I think, all will be well. No. They turned out a lovely bunch of sugar cookies that were very grainy and gritty instead of that wonderful, perfect texture that I remember from those holiday cookies with the little design in the middle. I'm like, I can't give these to her. Now. Throughout this entire exchange, I, I'm still not sure what I'm going to bring, to bring to her tomorrow. Maybe I'll just get some from the store. That is allowed. What was, wrong, what was wrong with my attitude the whole time I was stressing out over these cookies is that I was letting it be about me instead of about my Pathfinder girl. You see, I think we do this in worship all the time, 
where we get so obsessed with how we do it that we forget the point. After all, what's the point of my driving up tomorrow? To be with this girl on her big day, to wish her congratulations, to be a witness to the launching of their marriage. That brings us to worship. What is the point of us gathering here every week? Why is there a dried leaf on the podium? Why do we do this? Why do we dress our best and drive a distance, some more than others, to gather in this house? Well, then we have to get to the whole question of what is worship? It comes from an old English word, actually, worth-ship, to ascribe worth to something. Unfortunately, the Bible has this story where worship went wrong, and King David chose to worship his own ego instead of God. Turn with me to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bela of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Do you get the sense that the ark is very holy? The ark, if I might remind you, is where Israel's most sacred things were kept. The copy of the law and the five books of Moses the budding staff of Aaron, the manna, the ark was the most sacred thing that they had, and they lost it because they took it into battle against the Philistines. Now that's a long story, but by the time everything was said and done, the ark was in this person's house, Obed-Edom, and they were getting ready to bring it up to the city of David. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Sorry, Abinadab. Obed-Edom comes later. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. So let me try to bring this into the 21st century. The ark is placed on something that would be the ancient equivalent of a brand new town car. Preceded and followed by a security detail, including all kinds of marching bands that go loudly so that everyone knows that the ark is coming up to the city of David. And David's in this processional too, looking very kingly. This is a chance for him to celebrate being the one who brought the ark back to the city of David. What's wrong with this picture? What follows is a scene that I see a lot of people struggle with when they're trying to think of how the Old Testament God can be merciful. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, 
Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of, the, of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. This is a difficult, difficult story for a lot of people. And no wonder. After all, wasn't Uzzah just trying to steady the ark? Wasn't he trying to protect it? Most of the time when I hear this story talked about, it's a way of saying that God does not like it when you touch the holy things and treat them as though they are not holy. That is true. That is very true. But the thought still nags the mind. Well, but isn't the punishment not equal to the crime? Why did God strike Uzzah dead for studying the ark in this case. Let's look back to the general scene. We have the marching bands, we have the Lincoln Town Car, and we have David celebrating with the musicians. Who was this procession really about? Was it actually about God? No, it was about David and his ego. And when Uzzah stumbled to catch, the, to catch the ark as the oxen stumbled. There's an assumption there that God needs me to take care of him. How often do we think that God needs us for his own survival? I mean, what a ludicrous thought. He is the creator who stretched out the skies and the oceans and the land and all of the creatures that are in them, does he really need us? Well, David was angry, and then he was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, so David decides to shelve the issue for a while, to leave God alone. And perhaps David was interpreting this as God saying, I don't want anything to do with you. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David, David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. It never mentions rejoicing in the previous text. It says celebrating, but not rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord, they got it right this time. God had left instructions not to put it on a new cart, but to carry it so that if one person stumbled, the other three would still be able to hold it up. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. That was an expensive move, 
And some would call it wasteful, but this is how much joy David had. David, wearing a linen ephod, not his royal robes, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now this is where we as Adventists get supremely uncomfortable. We don't dance. Or at least we claim not to. Oh, oh those, those Hawaiians, they can do it. It's cultural movement. Or if it's related to American Sign Language, it's, it's interpretive. But we don't dance. It's something that we just don't do as Adventists. It's maybe in our Methodist heritage. Ellen White had a few things to say about social dancing. So David dancing before the Lord with all of his might makes some of us as uncomfortable as when we consider the death of Uzzah. Perhaps more. I have a confession to make. <clears throat> I was a Spanish major in college alongside theology. And when you study a culture, you don't just study its language or its food. You do study how it moves. <clears throat> so I have a confession to make. I learned salsa, I learned sevillanas, I learned the Argentine tango, I learned sardanas. It's not something that I do regularly anymore. But it's something I've done. <coughs> and there's a couple of things about the experience of dancing, if you have never had it, that you've got to understand to understand David's dancing. First of all, dancing forms a bond with the people you dance with. This is probably why we try to be so careful with it. Rightly so. You don't want, there are certain people you don't want to form certain kinds of bonds with, right? So this is not a blank check to go dancing. But it forms a bond, and David David would have been feeling a bond with all the other musicians and trying to form that bond with God. I think that some of our Jewish brothers and sisters do this so very well when they do their circle dances to God. Secondly, when you're dancing, you're focused, especially if dancing does not come naturally to you. Even something as simple as the waltz is difficult enough for me that I have to be concentrated on what I'm doing. But thirdly, whatever music you're dancing to, that gives you focus, and you can't think about much else. This is why I do not recommend that any of you go dancing in a nightclub, okay? Amen? because the music there is just quite simply not very good for you. But David wrote a psalm for this occasion, and I imagine that this is the psalm that he was dancing to. That this was, that the words to this song were what gave him so much joy that even after he had experienced the anger and the fear of watching Uzzah die before, now he could dress like a common priest and dance his heart out to the point where Michael, daughter of Saul, his wife, 
looked out through the window and despised him in her heart. You know what David said to her? Before the Lord, I will become even more undignified than this. But let's get to that psalm. I've actually printed it for you in the bulletin because there's so much in there that I am bound to forget something. And it's just such a really good psalm. I would love you to spend some time perhaps thinking on it this afternoon. It's in 1 Chronicles 16, and it starts in verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. And God had a lot of acts to tell of, from creating the world to calling his people out of Egypt. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. When it says to glory in God's holy name, what is God's name? I am. God's name is I am. And so what David feels so joyful about here is that God is the great I am, the God who is present. Now, if David could say that of God in his time, when God was somewhat distant in majesty and awe, how much more can we say it now that we have the presence of the Holy Spirit here, willing to live within us. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he pronounced. How many miracles? Too many to count. And there have been far more miracles happened since David wrote this than we can even know. O descendants of Israel, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen one, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit." Here David is talking about the great story of the Old Testament where God calls Abraham, who is pretty much a pagan, out from, out from the land of the Babylonians or what would later be the land of the Babylonians and sets and protects this family as they go through so many things as they end up in Egypt as they come back to reclaim the promised land. David is celebrating the fact that God protected them all the way. Well, I've got to tell you something. 2,000 years ago when the Christian church started, there were a lot of things that threatened its safety. But we're still here. We have had... Trials and tribulations happen to the Christian community, from persecution to the threat of selling out enough to paganism that it would disappear, but we are still here. That is a reason to rejoice. And more than that, just as 
David was celebrating how they had been able to claim their land in Canaan, so can we look forward to claiming new land in the new Jerusalem. When they were but few in number, few indeed and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no man to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. It's an interesting thing that we can still be joyful and celebrate God and rejoice in God, even while maintaining the fact that he is holy. In fact, the, the fact that he is holy gives us a reason to rejoice. As it says here, tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. One of my favorite children's series growing up was C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And in these books, God was portrayed as a lion named Aslan. And something, there was a running theme in these books of something I like to call the Aslan principle. Everyone, about once or twice or even three times a book, some character would say, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. You see, the way they were treating the ark before was as though God could be tamed, but in this total surrender to joy, they were also surrendering to the fact that God is the actual ruler of all. This isn't about an earthly king. This is about God who is sovereign, God who has his own will, and God who knows better than the rest of us. Let the sea let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns, God is in charge. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Now some of you may be going, what? Why would all creation be rejoicing because God's judging the earth? Well, I could go really deep into this, but I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest version. Judgment in the Bible. The judge was also the defense attorney. And so when you came to, be, to have your trial for a crime... Your judge was always there to make the best outcome for you. And that is what God does for us. 
it would be an entirely different sermon to go through the intricacies of this, but since 1844, we have been in judgment before God, but it is a joyous thing because what God is doing in that judgment is he's saying, my death is enough for you. My death is enough for you. My death is enough for you. I am enough for you. And because of that, we can be saved and we can live forever. It's a reason to rejoice, not to fear. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. You see, David wrote all of these things long before the central thing that we celebrate. Some of you, when you saw the bulletin, probably went, has pastor gone crazy? Is that really joy to the world there? Yes, it is. It is because I think that during the actual Christmas season, things are too distracting to really appreciate the central mer- one of the central miracles of our faith. That God, in his vast, infinite glory, with his all-consuming wisdom, with his incredible power, became a tiny, fragile being who grew into a man who would die on the cross to save us from our sin. What an incredible miracle this is. And David could only look forward to it. We look back to it. We look back to the cross. We look back to Bethlehem even as we look forward to the second coming. So I would like us to sing Joy to the World and celebrate, rejoice in the miracles that God has given us to be joyful. Worship can be joyful even when you are feeling black inside if you remember what God has done. Let's sing. <laughs>